electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now, on last call, an historic storm. Hurricane Hillary bearing down on Southern California. How much damage may come to one of America's most critical economic areas? Disney strikes back again. Its new counterpunch against Governor Ron DeSantis shows their feud far from over. A CNBC exclusive, the CEO of Red Hot Ferrari, joins us from gearhead heaven, Monterey Car Week. A terrible, no good, very bad month for Tesla, now lost more than a quarter of its value. Where will it find a bottom? And the new way to score a job, apparently, is on dating apps. Yeah, that's a thing. We're going to try, try to make sense of it. So belly up or buckle up and swipe right. Last call is up right now. All right, good evening here, good afternoon at West, and happy Friday, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. First up, the week where nothing seemed to work, red finding its way to just about every corner of the market. The Dow closed the week down about 2%, the worst since March. Meantime, the S&P 500, a third straight week of losses. The NASDAQ, though, saying, hold my beer. It lost just under 3%, tumbling now for a third consecutive week. My friends, that is the first three-week losing streak since December. Bonds, they weren't much better. The 10-year Treasury yield spiking for the fifth street week. In other words, the price of bonds went down. And borrowing costs, like mortgages, are likely to go up again. Think crypto might have provided a little shelter? Nope. Bitcoin losing more than 10% of its value as the crypto flash crash from yesterday kind of continued to rattle it and other digital currencies, which kinds of all begs a very simple, straightforward, but important question. Where should you be putting your money right now? That's it. Let's talk about it with our A-list panel who stuck around late on a Friday. Chief Market Strategist at Crossmark Global Investments, Victoria Fernandez, and Clio Capital Managing Director, Sarah Kuntz. Sarah and Victoria, thank you both for coming on. Victoria, I'm trying to remember the last time we had a week or weeks where like everything went down. Bonds went down, stocks went down, crypto went down. Where'd the money go? Yeah, it's been a while, Brian. And I think you have to look at people's cash positions right now and look at their short-term treasury allocations. I think that's where we're seeing a lot of this cash go. They're getting good yields by just keeping their money in cash. So why take the risk of having having it in some tech names that are down 10, 11% on the month, having it in bonds where 10-year yields have gone up about 50 basis points over the last couple of weeks. So short-term elements right now, I think is where most people are hiding their money, waiting for an opportunity to get back in this market. You know, we always say don't time the market. So I think people are being a little bit patient here, thinking let's get through Jackson Hole, let's get through the September Fed meeting and then see where we are. Yeah, Sarah, would you would you agree with that? And also, what are what are you advising your clients to do right now? And maybe maybe you're advising them to do nothing, just kind of sit tight. Yeah, you know, I I agree. I think that, you know, there's no big, huge catalyst that happened this week. I think people are just looking around and seeing that, you know, 
There, these tech stock names in particular have really ramped up over the last few months. And so, you know, lock in gains, take some chips off the table and get a really nice 5% yield in treasuries. Like, why not? Um, so, you know, I, I don't think that there is a huge problem in the market. I think that people are just putting their money elsewhere. Well, we know, Victoria, that the one you might have on this fine network, you might be familiar with technology stocks, Victoria. I'm just throwing that out there. You might have heard something about Apple and Microsoft and Tesla once in a while. I think we talk about them, you know, like every day. Uh, They got crushed this week. The so-called Magnificent Seven, hardly anything but. What happened to tech specifically? I mean, Brian, look, the NASDAQ at the beginning of this month was 26% over its 200-day moving average. You have to assume that at some point you're going to get some mean reversion on these stocks. And we've had sentiment change a little bit in the last 10 days or so. You've got people looking at the consumer pulling back. We've had a lot of retail earnings this week with people talking about that. Um, You see yields moving up over 4%, getting back to those October highs of where they were and actually getting right up to that resistance level of 434%. And we know higher yields are um, trouble for these longer duration stocks. And of course, not sure if the Fed is actually done at this point or not. So you've got some elements that have been hitting these stocks, making them come back from the highs they've been at. But look, they are still up tremendously so far this year. Yeah, they are. And we got we to remember that, Sarah, to Victoria's point, the NASDAQ 100 coming into this week, I think was up about 40%, putting it on pace for one of its best years ever. So we're not trying to overstate or make too much about this. But the thing I guess I worry about with the names like the NVIDIAs of the world, which, by the way, have their earnings next week, is these are, they're not just the market leaders. They they feel like they're the market engines. The, The overall market tends to go where they go, correct? Yeah, I mean, I am not as, I I like NVIDIA. I think it's a good company. I think the CEO there, you know, has been visionary around understanding the role that that AI chips would play in the world we live in. That being said, you look at that stock price and you say, wow, that is expensive. How much higher can it go? And I don't think that there's a ton more upside, you know, logically left there. And so in general, once you're done going up, you start to go down. So, you know, whatever their news is, unless they have this massive block you know, it's likely that we're going to see some sell off. OK, so back to you then, Sarah. So if if these stocks maybe have played out a little bit, then are there like where are there opportunities right now then to make money? Because if if this is kind of topped out, where do we go? So, you know, I, I'll stay on the AI track. I actually think that some of the names like the Taiwan Semiconductors are a bit undervalued. Um, you know, when you look at their core business, the market share they have, uh, you know, they make the majority of all of these chips. And and so, you know, I think that some of those kinds of names are, are sort of being underbought in, in this market and that there's a real opportunity to, to still, still put more money to work in tech names, but in tech names that are getting a little bit less love right now. You know, Victoria, you're down there in Houston, Texas. Okay, I heard they got some oil and gas down there. And a little. Yeah, just a little bit. And I'm looking at opportunities. You know, we've seen energy stocks take off in the last two months or so. I think they've outperformed technology. Many of them have. Is there, is there a place to find money and wealth in energy? 
I think, Brian, you have to have some exposure to energy right now. I mean, energy and healthcare were the only two sectors this past week that were actually above their 50-day moving averages. So they've got some momentum going there. And there's both of those sectors are areas that we think you can put some money to work. So yes, have some exposure in energy. Look at some healthcare. That's been hit pretty significantly this year. So you have some good opportunities there for prices to go higher. I like it. Energy and healthcare. We're watching tech as well. Sarah, Victoria, both. Really appreciate it. Have a great weekend. We'll see you soon. Thank you. All right, meantime, inside the markets, let's get your studs and duds for the week. The biggest winner of the week, the name we just talked about, NVIDIA, jumping more than 6%. Their earnings are out next week. The biggest decliner, First Solar. It did slightly worse than Tesla, down 11%. Now, think about this, folks. Given all the talk about the energy transition, having EVs and solar panels as the worst two performers out of 500 stocks, Maybe a uh, little, little eye-opening. All right, we've got a lot to do in coming up. A very serious topic, a storm of historic proportions. Look at that. About to hit Los Angeles, Hurricane Hillary bearing down, and the toll could be profound. Plus, a CNBC exclusive with the CEO of Ferrari. Straight from the place that dreams are made of, Monterey Car Week. we got a lot more to do on a Friday last call. We'll see you on the other side of this break. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. Time for tomorrow's news tonight. Some of the stories you're going to be talking about tomorrow morning. First up, a pleasant surprise for Palo Alto Networks. That is a cybersecurity company, and they posted better than expected results tonight. The news was a big relief to investors because when they decided to move their earnings release to Friday, it had some investors worried. A lot of times, Friday earnings kind of, you know, they don't come in good because they try to duck them and hide them over the weekend. Palo Alto Networks dropped about 16% this month, but... Shares are surging after hours following those results. Historically, companies with bad news like to do it, like we said, on a Friday. All right, moving on. Next up, another bad day for VinFast. That is the Vietnam-based electric car maker that began trading on the NASDAQ this week. The stock has been all over the place. It skyrocketed on Tuesday, but then pretty much nosedived every other day, down three days in a row. Earlier this week, if you remember, VinFast, their market cap exceeded that of Ford and GM. The company's market cap still high, but below that. It's now at $36 billion. Remember, we had Herb Greenberg on a couple of days ago. 
And he warned you, and if you listened to him a couple of days ago, maybe you save yourself some money. Finally, a headline that nobody could have expected. Hurricane Hillary, currently a Category 4 storm off the coast of western Mexico and is now heading toward California. While the storm is, thankfully, expected to weaken considerably before it reaches the state, the National Weather Service has said it expects the storm to bring significant impact to California and possibly Nevada and Arizona. What does this all mean for residents? Joining us now for more on that story is AccuWeather senior meteorologist Kevin Coxman. Uh, Kevin, I grew up in Los Angeles and San Diego. I'm not sure I can remember an actual hurricane ever hitting. How rare is this? You know what? It is very rare, Brian. I'll tell you what, over the last hundred years, it's only happened a handful of times. And I believe the last time was 1997 when it happened twice in the same month. And that was also an El Nino year. And that's one of the reasons we have this strong hurricane. It's a major hurricane off the southwest coast of Mexico. Uh, and if, he, if it becomes a Category 5, it'll be the first Category 5 uh, of the season for either the Atlantic or the Pacific. But what is unusual with this is the, is the track. Because there's an upper-level ridge over the center of the nation that's kind of pulling it in. It's holding it on the coast. So as it moves into cooler water, you're right, it will lose a lot of its wind intensity. But, boy, the impacts are going to be wide-ranging and life-threatening as far as the flooding in Southern California. As it makes landfall, expected uh, Sunday night into Monday morning between L.A. and San Diego. Yeah, that's going to be a, a horrible location for that to happen. We've got a tropical storm watch across Southern California into L.A. and San Diego County with a hurricane watch down the coast of Baja, California. Look at these rainfall projections here. We have an AccuWeather local storm max of 20 inches in Mexico. But as far as California and Nevada, four to eight inches will cause big problems. There are parts of California that don't see four to eight inches of rain in an entire year. And we're going to get it in a couple of days here, and that's why we're going to be really susceptible to the flooding. Look at the moisture content future here. Watch Hillary go up the coast into Saturday, and even when Hillary is well down the coast, the, the precipitation will already be flowing in and giving us flooding downpours to start the weekend. Then as we get landfall into Sunday and Sunday night, that's when those 40 to 60 mile hour winds with possibly higher gusts will move in, and the heavy rain will continue uh, into Monday as the storm gradually loses intensity. But this is going to be a life-threatening flooding situation here, folks, with road washouts, rapid water rises, mudslides, potentially historic flooding for some. And if you look at the impacts we're expecting from Hillary, you see where the worst of it's going to be? Interior Southern California, between Palm Springs, Death Valley. Death Valley could become a lake. We're going to get so much rain. We have an AccuWeather real impact scale of a two for Mexico and two for the United States. That's out of a possible five. And our real impact scale here at AccuWeather doesn't just deal with the wind. It also deals with the heavy rain, the storm surge flooding, and also economic damage and loss. So, Brian, this is going to be historic. Scary stuff, Kevin. It's already been one of the rainiest years in California's history. They need rain, but just not all at once. Kevin Coxman of AccuWeather, thank you very much, Kevin. Appreciate it. All right, obviously, folks, human safety is the number one concern around that big storm. But the storm is also a business story because this is, to Kevin's point, an extremely rare event in California on top of what has already been, as I just said, one of the rainiest years ever for the state. And all that rain and water needs to go somewhere. Poses a serious risk to flooding, especially to things like low-lying oil refineries. There are seven oil refineries in Southern California that refine about 1.1 million barrels of crude oil per day. 
S&P Global out with a note today saying that gasoline prices have already begun creeping up on the West Coast, which, as you know, if you live there, already has some of the most expensive gas in the country at an average of $5.20 per gallon. That according to AAA. Now, if some of those seven refineries get knocked offline, even for a couple of days because of flooding or power issues, there could be a need to actually import certain types of gasoline from Texas or elsewhere into California ports. Just something else to watch in a storm that could break nearly all rain records for Southern California. Joining us now with more on the storm's potential impact on the critical infrastructure and supply chain side of things is, is Binya Vakil, the CEO and founder of Resolink, a Resolink rather, a supply chain mapping and early warning disruption firm. Uh, Binya, thank you for, for joining us. What are you advising your clients with regard to this storm? Yeah, so um, Brian, um, this region is home to thousands of sites in the supply chain that do activities like factories, um, warehousing, distribution. If you just think about warehousing, there are billions of dollars worth of inventory sitting in warehouses across those orange bands that you saw on the map a few minutes ago. Um, Reslink has mapped factories uh, involved in shipbuilding, aerospace and defense, um, medical devices, food and uh, food processing, electronics components, so everything you can think of. And then not to mention our massive transportation and logistics infrastructure, which is completely reliant on this uh, incredible, incredibly concentrated area where you have the port of um, uh, LA and Long Beach, you have multiple airports that transport a lot of air cargo, as well as our border crossing with Mexico. Um, and so this is a massive disruption, if you will, to and, and expect delays, mm -hmm. backlogs, and um, uh, and, and um, shortages to occur um, in grocery stores, as well as on critical products. Hard to say which products, where and when, depends on different companies' inventory dependencies. Yeah, Bindi, and hopefully it will be whatever disruptions that we have, and I'm sure there will be some, will be short-lived. But explain how much even a short-lived disruption, a ship that can't get to port, trucks that can't get to port, trucks that can't drive because of flooding, what is the sort of the, the inchworm and longer-term effects of even short-term disruptions? Yeah, a few day disruption at the port of LA and Long Beach can ripple for weeks. A few weeks disruption can have months of disruption. You know, when we had the massive port shortages not too long ago, um, we saw that had a ripple effect because rail cars were in the wrong place at the wrong time. We had container shortages, so the containers, I mean, just all, it is all interconnected. What we typically see during disruptions like these, we advise our customers to map different scenarios of landfall well before um, the landfall actually happens. Our customers know which supplier sites, products, and parts are coming from the areas of uh, of these different scenarios, and they can, uh, and we are seeing customers already start to talk to their suppliers to see where their inventory positions are, where their stock, uh, uh, you know, where their um, uh, uh, lines down positions are, and mm -hmm. then pull inventory out of region ahead of time before the landfall actually happens. Yeah, uh, unbelievably big storm. A lot of a lot of different angles here. Bindi Vakil of Resolink, we appreciate you joining us on Last Call. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, still ahead. Look at this car. All right, there it is. Oh, 
1962 Ferrari GTO. It, to me, might as well be the Mona Lisa. And it may be about to shatter a record. Robert Frank in Monterey with more on that. Um, and, and also that amazing car, Robert. Yeah, and they're all prancing horses, Brian. The average sale price of a new Ferrari is now over $400,000, but you gotta wait at least three years for some models. Right now, we have an exclusive interview with the CEO of Ferrari, Benedetto Vigna. He's gonna tell us about why they just can't make more cars, the future of the brand, and whether anyone will ever buy an electric Ferrari. Coming up after the break. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. We normally don't do the RBI on Fridays, but today is special. So we're going to make an exception. And it's special because of what we have coming up for you and what we just showed you. So this is your setup. Remember that Robert just told you about that amazing Ferrari that is going up for auction later this year. I think it's November 12th. Wow. There it is. And it could break the 50 or even $60 million mark. Well, we wanted to learn more about that car, and it's fascinating. So the car is one of only 34 ever made. It was originally sold for about 6000 bucks in 1962, which would be about 60000 in today's money. Now, that exact car sat in, of all places, Detroit, until a guy from, of all places, Cincinnati, named Jim Jagger, found it and bought it in 1985 for a then-stunning 500,000 bucks. It's about one and a half million today. So, of course, then I got curious. Who's Jim Jagger? Well, the guy must love cars and speed because he not only owned the car, but he made his money by founding and building the company that makes escort radar detectors called Cincinnati Microwave. You know, those are the things that, well, that's a passport, that warn you if there's a police speed trap ahead all before the days of Waze. And smartphones? Well, Jagger, not only smart and rich, also got very lucky in 2007. His Cincinnati house burned down. He and his wife thankfully got out okay. The car and his other collection also made it through the fire. And now this nearly one-of-a-kind Ferrari is going up for auction. And if it sells for $60 million, it will give Jagger a 4,000% return on his investment. An investment... That is not only obviously beautiful, but drivable, too. Now, that is what's called winning. Random, but interesting. All right, speaking of cars and Ferrari, here is a, you didn't know there was going to be a quiz on a Friday, but here's a pop quiz. What is the top performing auto stock over the past year? Tesla? Rivian? GM? Ford? Are you thinking? It's none of those. It is Ferrari. The ticker race up 44%. And with that Ferrari run, it is now worth more than GM or Ford. 
despite selling probably like 0.03% of the number of cars. Joining us now from Monterey Car Week, the man you just saw, Robert Frank, as well as Benedetto Vigna. He is the CEO of Ferrari, and it's his first live U.S. TV interview. So, Robert, I'm just going to sit here and listen. Take it away. Yeah, Brian, we're going to talk to the man behind that 45% or 44% stock increase over the past year. He's been in the job now two years and just done an incredible amount of things in those two years. Benedetto Vigna, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. So we're in Pebble Beach, or it looks like Ferrari Beach, <laughs> given all, of, all the Ferraris that are around here. Uh, what does the classic car market do for Ferrari? Are they really two entirely separate economies and groups, or does that GTO that's going to sell for 50 or $60 million in any way help the business of selling these new four $500,000 cars. I mean, we are a company. We exist in 76 years. You know how many kids we have? 230. These are all the cars that we did over, 26, over 76 years. We take care of all of them like, uh, you know, our kids. So we take care during the entire life. So for us, Classic, Ferrari Classic, they are very, very important because it's important for the brand, it's important for the client, and we take care all over the places. We have uh, 73 dealerships in 20 countries that are uh, approving, testifying, certifying the authenticity of the car. So this is very, very important for, uh, for Ferrari. And is it also that customers know that they're not just buying a depreciating car that loses value when you roll it off the lot, that, that this is, in some cases anyway, an asset that grows in value over time. To what extent is that value proposition important to keep for Ferrari? The precision does not make sense for us. The precision does not make sense for us. I mean, we are talking about a car that when they are certified by us, by Ferrari Classic, and this is what auction houses are telling us, they can be auctioned at 15, 20% higher price. So this is very, very important. We take care of all the kids we have, the young, the new, everyone. And uh, speaking of kids around the world, a lot of economic cross-currents right now with rising interest rates, the stocks are all over the place. Are you seeing any reduction or slowdown in demand in North America right now? We don't see it. We don't see it. I'll give you a couple of numbers. If I take the six months of 2023, well, we had an increase of our sales here that is in the range of 5%. But another, a couple of points that are very important for you, it's a uh, now almost 10 quarters where our um, active client base it's growing every quarter by more than two percent we have 30 percent of our new clients that are younger than 40 years old and then the new clients are 10 percent younger than all the clients we have in the world so it's very kicking the prancing horse here it's very kicking how do you even get a ferrari if you're a new client though i mean it, it it's hard to get on the list for any of these really high-end Ferraris. And if you want to get a Puro Sangue, the new SUV, or any of the desirable cars, you're now waiting at least three years, right? So I mean, getting a Ferrari is an experience. It starts from the time you see a Ferrari. It's a long you get experience. Line. It's a long experience. I mean, it's not something that, you know, you, you, you can get too very easily. So I think that is, a, you know, I was with a client. He's 58 years old, and he told me, I want to buy a Puro Sangue because I want to celebrate my 60th anniversary. So the client are ready to wait for a couple of years. So there is nothing new here. I think it's part of the overall experience we provide. And everyone asks me, why can't they just make more cars? You produced around 13,000 cars last year. What will you produce this year? And you could probably sell 
30,000 a year, right? If you, if you really wanted to. Look, I, I want to tell you that we are a brand that is not looking for volume. We are a brand that is looking for value and respecting the client. For us, the clients are very, very important. Our clients are giving a value to our cars because they are unique, because they are limited, because they are exclusive. We could make more, but that does not make sense. We would offend our client. So it's important, this, uh, Robert. And, and what about electric vehicles? I don't hear a lot of Ferrari owners asking or wanting for an EV. How many clients did you talk to? A few of them. Do, you, do your clients I, I tell you they talking. want, they I want keep, it? I keep talking. Yesterday evening I was having a, a dinner here in Casa Ferrari here in Pebble Beach. There was a client in front of me. Maybe he will listen to me. He was telling, you know what? I like the Ferrari. I like electric Ferrari. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, to, have, to, to see it. So first EV Ferrari is going to be in 2020? 2025 Q4. We will unveil our electric Ferrari. So and 2026 we will start. Lastly, I have to ask you, Formula One, I know you get harassed all the no, time no, from everybody. Uh, when will you finally get back to number one or two and what Look, will it take? I think this question is, uh, is very important because we are, our DNA is racing. Okay? We had a good result this year with racing in Le Mans with the hypercars. We have to keep improving in Formula One. I mean, we have uh, a car that is the fastest we, had, we did so far, but it's not the fastest on the track. So we have to keep improving. So I think that uh, our, uh, you know, our uh, founder, okay, wrote many sentences. One sentence that I like a lot is the following. Those who come after me have accepted a simple inheritance to keep alive the will to progress pushed in the past. And that's what we have to do. We have to do in the racing, we have to do in everything we do. So we have to keep working day and night like we are doing to become to be competitive, to be more competitive, and finally to win. Great. Uh, Benedetto, it's amazing that given the success of the brand, you're still out there fighting and struggling to get better. Thank you so to. much for joining us. To. Thank you, Robert. All right, Brian, we'll see how they do in the upcoming races in the U.S. We've got Austin coming up, and then we got Las Vegas. Right, I know. it's amazing. Robert, could I, I don't want to get in his ear because I know it's his first TV interview. Could I ask you a question to ask uh, if quickly, does he think that the Formula One needs to adjust the rules for Red Bull's dominance? Do you think Formula One needs to adjust the rules for Red Bull's dominance? I don't think so. I think if the rules are the same, I mean, you have to cope with those rules. I think what is important is that once the rules are fixed, you cope and all the people play with the same rules for the rest. It's like the nature, you know? It's given. All right. <laughs> Even Ferrari has to play by the rules, Brian. Yeah, it's just uh, they've had such dominance. Be great to see Ferrari and Leclerc and Carlos Sainz and maybe a guy named Lewis Hamilton. Well, but Lewis you know, they, they probably, said that, they probably Hamilton. said that about. Yeah, and they, yeah, you're gonna. What about Lewis Hamilton? Is he gonna get go, come to Ferrari? Look, uh, we have Charles and Carlos. They are doing a fantastic job. They are uh, working like a friend. They are competing. So I would like to say that for us, the main priority is to have a car that is more competitive on the track. All right, yeah. Brian. Great stuff. There you have it. Great. I, 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 have tr I, I had trouble listening because I was just looking at the car behind you, Robert. Uh, De Benedetto, thank you much, very much, Robert. Have a great time. Appreciate it. All right. Worth more than Ford or GM. All right. Up next, Ford versus Ferrari. I guess we know who won. All right. This week, Governor Ron DeSantis told us he wants to move on from his feud with Disney, but Disney may not be on board. Stick around.
All right, call this real-life movie The Iger Strikes Back. Disney is escalating its fight with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Now, you may have seen earlier this week, Governor DeSantis exclusively joined us here on Last Call, and he made quite a bit of news when he spoke about his long-running feud and the legal fight around Disney World's special tax district. We basically moved on. They're suing the state of Florida. They're going to lose that lawsuit. So what I would say is drop the lawsuit. Your competitors all do very well here. Universal SeaWorld, they have not had the same special privileges as you have. So all we want to do is treat everybody the same and let's move forward. I'm totally fine with that, but I'm not fine with giving extraordinary privileges, you know, to one special company at the exclusion of everybody else. Now, apparently Bob Iger did not catch that interview, or maybe he actually did, because Disney is now filing counterclaims against the governor's board of supervisors that is tasked with overseeing Disney World's special tax district. Disney is seeking damages and an order forcing compliance with various developmental contracts. Last call reached out to the governor's office for a statement, but we have not heard back yet. Joining us now to talk about it is Puck founding partner, Matt Bellany, Matt, uh, we, we, you know, we had governor graciously sat down with us in Tallahassee on Friday. By the way, the full 30 minute interview is up on CNBC.com. We obviously talked a lot about Disney. He was upset, but he said he would be willing to give Bob Iger a call. When does this when and how does this feud end? Well, it's a curious statement that he made because he's essentially saying, yeah, we've moved on. However, his follow up comments there were basically saying, we don't want Disney to have any special privileges that other companies in Florida don't get. And that is essentially the crux of this lawsuit. There is a 50-year-old agreement that says exactly that, that Disney does get special privileges. And that's what Disney is responding to in this counterclaim, because Florida is essentially saying, no, we want to renege on that deal. And Disney is saying in this new filing, no, 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 we want specific performance of the obligations of this deal. And that is not, we've moved on. You know, I think most of most of the people that we hear from say DeSantis should back off. But on the flip side of that, Disney has had very special tax privileges for a long time. Obviously, they bring a huge amount of money into the state. They're not the biggest employer, but they're they're doggone close. Does does Bob Iger need to also think about picking up the phone here? It's an interesting one, because from everything that I have heard, Disney sees this as a winning issue for them. They see it as a winner legally. They also see it as a winner politically or in the court of public opinion because of the specific targeting that went on here. Disney's CEO at the time made comments about pending legislation in Florida. Ron DeSantis did not like those comments, and hence he retaliated, in Disney's words, against the company. That is a pretty straightforward free speech issue in Disney's mind here. Why so do you I think, think they, they view would, it as a winner. Why do you think they view it as a winning strategy? And do you view it as a winning strategy, that they've got the winning side, if, if that even exists? <laughs> well, I'm not a judge, but when I look at this case as a lawyer and as a commentator, I do see specific retaliation here. Florida was not interested in this special district until it started to get into a fight with the CEO of Disney over this don't say gay law. That is, in my mind, a specific retaliation. And secondly, a contract is a contract. It's not like this is a contract that expired and all of a sudden Florida said we're not going to renew it. This is an existing contract. Arguably, all these other companies that are in Florida are there because of what Disney built up 
because of its special privilege. Now, you could say maybe we change the law, maybe we do all these other things to get rid of it. But if you're just going to say we're going to appoint a board to not honor this contract, it's a little bit dicey. Fair point. Matt Bellany of Puck. Have a great weekend, Matt. Thank you. All right, coming up, our Friday Insider Buys are back with some surprising moves this week you're going to want to hear. Hey, a lot of these stocks, they move when we talk about them. Plus, Tesla losing a quarter of its value in a month. Why? Talk about that next. All right, welcome back. Time for your exclusive insider buying playbook. The top five companies whose executives bought the most of their own stock with their own money this week. As always, thanks to Verity Data for the information. And as always, we're counting you down five to one. Here we go. Fifth most insider buying, market access holdings. Just over $1 million buy by the CEO is first. It's becoming CEO earlier this year. Number four, Super Microcomputer, a similar size buy by a board member who has now, by the way, bought seven times since the fall of last year, and a stock that is down 26% in a month. So Supermicro is a name to watch. Third most, rideshare company Lyft. $1.14 million pickup by the CEO again. A first since becoming CEO this year. That stock up 34%, so buying into strength. Coming into number two, Option Care Health, a $1.9 million buy by a board member. And the biggest insider buy of the week, far bigger than any of the ones that we just mentioned, Sarepta Therapeutics, SRPT, a $7.2 million buy by a board member, which, by the way, was his third multi-million dollar buy since last year. And again, buying into weakness, Sarepta down 24% in just three months. Now, I keep track of every stock we have ever done on insider buying in two and a half years, so I can tell you this is the fourth time that Sarepta has been on our insider buy list, the most of any Company. There you go. All right, top five of the week market access, super micro, lift, option care health, and Sarepta. Just a reminder, we do it nearly every Friday here on Last Call, except during earnings season. You can also grab it on CNBC Pro. All right, in the meantime, Tesla is having a pretty terrible run lately. If you haven't noticed, Tesla's lost a quarter of its value in a month. That is a $246 billion drop. What in the world is going on with Tesla? Joining us now is RBC Capital Markets Global Autos Analyst, Tom Naran. Tom, good to have you on uh, last call. What is going on with Tesla? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to keep in mind when it comes to Tesla, these types of moves are kind of par for the course, right? It was a trillion dollar market cap after the pandemic. Then it pulled back to about 300 billion after the whole Twitter saga. Then it rallied up to 900 billion uh, with the big uh, 2Q delivery number. Now it's pulled back to around 600 billion. It's still 600 billion plus market cap. Let's not forget that. But the reason why it's pulled back really, um, it's a couple of things. One is we heard from the 2Q call that there are going to be some pullbacks in production in the third quarter. They wouldn't hit uh, their, you know, above 1.8 million uh, vehicle target delivery for 2023 for the Model 3 and the Model Y. I think some folks expect them to beat that. We also obviously saw the CFO departure. I think folks wanted to uh, understand that a little better. And then now you also have that all coupled in with the China price cuts. Yeah. So I think it's just a confluence of things all happening at the same yeah, time. Yeah, talk to us a little more about China and how much it matters, because China's economy, by I mean, the little information we now get out of China, looks like they're on the precipice of a major slowdown. Yeah, I mean, it's a third of, uh, of, of, de- of deliveries here for, for Tesla. So it's a very important market. 
there were sizable cuts there. But if you look at the market uh, share that Tesla has in China, it actually hasn't lost that much market share. It's around 8% market share. If you look at a company like VW, it's lost way more market share. It's only about 4% for, for EVs when it was about 20% for ICEs. So, you know, yeah, it is something that it, definitely folks should monitor. It's it's definitely a concern. Uh, but remember, you know, Shanghai is it's mo- is Tesla's most lowest cost plant. It's it still can afford to cut prices there to keep the market share and not sacrifice on profitability. Definitely something the whole industry is 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 taking a, a look at uh, a slowing economy potentially there, demand uh, issues there. Uh, but you know, all yeah. in, in the grand scheme of things, Tesla is a company that can that, that has managed this in the past. Tom Noran, good to have you on. Really appreciate it. Important stock. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to call this swiping for success. Listen to this. Some young professionals are now turning to dating apps to help them try to find a job. Is that cool? We're going to talk about it. Coming up. All right, it's the kind of news alert that we like. We've got an update for you on the sale of one of the top lots at the Monterey Car Week. Robert Frank coming back with us with a Ferrari race car. Not the one we showed you, but a different one. How much did that beauty go for? Yeah, Brian, this is pretty big news in the collector world, in the Ferrari world. This was a car. It's a 412P. It's a race car. You might recognize it from Ford versus Ferrari. It's pretty much the same car as as Carol Shelby said in the movie, you know, if it's a beauty contest, we just lost because this car is so much more beautiful than the Ford GTE. This car was expected to sell for about $40 million. That was the whisper number. It just crossed at $30.25 million. So that's quite a bit lower than they expected. Look, $30 million car is nothing to say. It's a failure. That is a huge number for a car. But it just shows how this market, especially at the very top, has kind of taken a breather a little bit. Maybe it's because of what's happening in the stock market, high yields, economic uncertainty. You know, trees don't grow from the sky to the sky. So this this disappointment, you know, could sort of filter through. There are over 100 Ferraris for sale this weekend in Pebble Beach. And, you know, this is a car that this was only one of two, really, uh, had a great race history. Again, $30 million, nothing to sneeze at, but not the $40 million expected. So we'll see whether this carries out. I've heard a lot of sort of mixed signals from collectors saying, look, the, the bidding excitement just mm-hmm. isn't there this weekend. And yet, you know, still got a lot of cars to go. So we'll see. Yeah, but if you if you remember the movie, this is like when Matt Damon was talking to Henry Ford second. He's like, oh, Enzo, sitting out there in Modena, knows that we're faster than him. And yeah. the, only, the only thing that didn't break was the brakes or whatever that, that line was. This is sort of the, quote, villain car in that movie, to your point at the top. And I think it was actually raced uh, by an, a, a, an American uh, race team, I think. I'm not I'd called NART, North American Racing Team. I don't yeah, know. I don't know if this was a NART car. I don't think it was. This car raced, I mean, you know, these, these 412Ps were just so dominant and successful in their time. This car, again, raced Le Mans raced a lot of big races around Europe, very successful. They, they, just, they just dominated. And, so, and, and it is not just an incredibly successful race car, but it's beautiful. I mean, it's just gorgeous. the design of this thing is gorgeous. So you, you've got Beauty and the Beast in one car. It's, it's really a trophy, one of the holy grails. And again, 30 million, not bad, but this just sets the tone for what could be a sort of more subdued, maybe a market that's, that's starting to 
maybe become more rational after the last yeah. couple of years. 197 miles an hour for a car built 55 years ago and is stunning. Robert Frank, great stuff. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, let's wrap it up with this. All right, this is a fascinating segment. Now, you've probably heard a lot about dating apps, right? Like Tinder and Bumble, where people go on, they swipe for a chance at love. But what if we told you some people are now using these apps for their careers? Young professionals and employers are now using dating apps to find jobs of potential candidates. Joining us now to explain how this actually works is career coach, Eliana Goldstein. Eliana, it's good to have you on the program. When I heard about the segment, I, I was intrigued. Thanks for coming on. But then my next thought was, how is this, is this kind of gross? Like, are we stalking people because, like, I want to work at Google, and this person, I may not be interested in them, but they work yeah. at Google, so we're going to go out for drinks, and that just seems a little, you know, like, stalkish. I completely understand. And, you know, I think there's a little bit of a misconception going on in that this isn't a bait and switch situation where I'm just going to pretend I'm interested so that I can get a job offer. This is really about being forthcoming. And a lot of people who are using their, you know, dating profiles for this are sharing, hey, I'm not here necessarily for a romantic connection, but I'm here in order to network. I'm here in order to have create friendships, right? So this isn't a slimy situation. People are being very outright about what their intentions are when this is really what they're seeking to do on dating apps. Uh, not being on the dating apps, um, do people generally list their, their, their job or their company? I, I don't know. So it depends. All dating apps are different, but a lot of dating apps will give certain prompts. Well, those will, it will say something like, uh, ask me about working in engineering, ask me about career advancement. So you can let people know what your interests are so that they're more likely to reach out to you to engage in that type of conversation. So you can be pretty open about that. And in some situations, you can really say, I am here for networking purposes. So you can see that information as you're swiping through people's profiles. And, and you're advising people to do this. But again, to our point at the top, don't use it just to find a job, right? Like lead somebody on because you want to work at a specific company. Because again, my point, that's gross. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. Look, I'm always going to advocate for, for traditional methods for networking with the LinkedIn's and in-person events and things of that nature. But I think because the job market is so oversaturated right now, and yep. it's really hard to be able to land a role, people are looking for non-conventional methods and non-traditional methods. Okay. So this is an avenue to do that. You should still be focusing on those other things as well. Let's not put all our eggs in the uh, dating app basket by any means. But yeah. I think that your, your network is your is your currency right and it's what how you advance in your career so if this well, is an avenue to meet new people and you're going to be authentic and honest about it then there's really no problem with it and that's that's my opinion there you go eliana goldstein thank you very much really interesting story there fascinating yeah thank you for having me. all right quickly you know what happened 19 years ago this weekend google went public I'm not, guys, I'm just going to add to this. I was at, it was August 19th, 2004. I was actually on a train from Mountain View back to San Francisco, and about a fifth of the employees on the train worked for Google. They were spraying champagne on each other, and the other four-fifths of us were basically crying in their champagne. True story, by the way. The stock has soared. It's done great. I hope you're doing great. Have a great weekend. I'll be in Colorado. I'll see you next week. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, 
No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 